tell you what, it's such a beautiful expression of what God wants to do in every one of our lives. And I just encourage you, man, what powerful worship. I want you to stay right there in the work that God has been doing in many of your lives as we have been talking about this issue of the age of rage. For many of you, you've been tilling up all these things inside your hearts. And as Pastor Bart last week began to transition us into some of the practical elements of what do we do with this rage? Once we've begun to identify it, what do we begin to do with it? We're going to continue in that in a very practical form today as we deal with the incredibly difficult topic of forgiveness. How do we begin to release these issues and these things that have come up in our lives? As I have been thinking about this this past week, I mean, don't kid yourself. When you do a message like this, All the issues of your own life come right to the surface. All the bullies in your past, all the issues that that you want to stretch out and and, and come up against. you got to understand, I mean, I'm not a small person, okay? Sometimes I forget that I'm not a small person. I've never been really a violent person. My whole family is, is tall and large, okay? So I was actually one of the smaller ones in the family, if that, can, uh, that tells you anything. So as I think about that, as I come against some of these things, I mean, I would like to fight back. That's just never been really my nature, not in, in how I, I do things. But sometimes I internalize things. And the anger goes deep, and I shove it down, and it spews out in all kinds of different places when I see that. We've all been dealing with this. We're all broken. Amen? We, in our life group, we've been talking about, you know, some people are, are spewers, some people are stuffers, and some people are, are leakers. And one of, our, one of my <laughs> folks in our life group this week said, which of those is the best one? And I said, no, 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 that's not the deal. They're all bad, okay? We're all equally bad, okay? One is not necessarily better than another when we deal with this issue of anger. But I want you to see what you've witnessed today, and whether you've figured it out or not. This whole process that we are doing with Sar Shalom and, and observing Passover with them. And as we lower ourselves and we say, you know, this is not our tradition, but we will yield out of humility because the whole process of doing this with Passover is to remove the leaven which resembles pride. And the opposite of taking out pride is to do what? It is to show humility. To esteem someone else better than yourself. And that's exactly what we are seeing happen as we take this step. And Sar Shalom did not have to do what they are doing this morning. You realize Friday night was their Seder meal. It went late into the night. They did their service yesterday. And they were here at 7.15 this morning preparing this opportunity because we had taken a step and they came to serve us. That is a beautiful picture of not only laying down pride and stamping it out where we see it, but of replacing it with an attitude and spirit of humility. You saw it on this stage this morning as well. As we did not have one of our drummers available this week. And you saw our gifted worship pastor who can play the drums take a step to the back and allow a very gifted worship leader in Jason Solly to take a step to the front. And you see this beautiful picture of humility and the opportunity of laying down our pride. And that is exactly where we need to be in dealing with our anger. 
I want to share with you an illustration today as we deal with this difficult attitude and issue of anger. We're going to talk about later that, quite honestly, this issue of, of, of righteous anger is something we really need to look at because the truth of the matter is we are probably not nearly angry enough as we should be as believers with a sense of righteous anger. And the reason we can't get to the righteous anger is because we have so much of this unrighteous anger that is pushed into and shoved down into our lives only to emerge to destroy our witness and to destroy the things that Jesus Christ wants to do in our lives. And so I want to use this illustration. Many of you have seen, even after the rain, you've looked at your yards and you see this. You see the dreaded dandelion. How many of you have seen those in your yard, okay? This individual has a serious problem, all right? You know what I'm saying? They have a serious problem with their particular yard. Now, here's what we've discovered. We can take our lawnmowers and we can mow the stinking little heads off those dandelions and mow them over and feel really good about it. But what happens? They pop right back up. They stick up their little yellow heads as if to laugh at us. <laughs> Those dandelions, they laugh at us to say, you're not going to kill us. That's not what you're going to do. And here's the dreaded awful thing you know those dandelions they look really good they look beautiful in their yellow form and they pop up and they seem to go hey man this is going to be beautiful but then this emerges the ugly seed poppy of the dandelion and those seeds go everywhere to furnish more and more dandelions hopefully with a north wind in my neighbor's yard no I'm just teasing did you see that anger come out again all right and you see these dandelions, and they, they, they come up this way. And they've got this beautiful flower, just like our anger. It shoots up, but we've learned something. If you've been in one of our life groups, one of the things that we've discovered, Pastor Bart talked about it a little bit last week, that anger is a secondary emotion. It's not really the real issue. There are all kinds of things in our lives that have been pushed back and shoved back and there are other uh, relationships that we struggle with and different things and our anger comes out and sometimes we don't even know where it came from and that's going to be part of our exercise for today. But that dandelion flower, it shoots up. And as we see it, I want to tell you a story about, see, my grandmother is one of the, was one of the hardest working people that I've ever met. She was all of about five foot one. When I would put my arms out, she literally fit underneath my arms. But she was one of the hardest working people I've ever seen. As an 89-year-old woman, she would take care of old people. That's what she said she did. Granny, I mean, you're 89 years old. What's up with that? She goes, he's 91, and I go in, and I fix meals for him, and I clean his house. She was taking care of old people into her 90s. My, great, my grandmother was a phenomenal gardener. She had flower beds all over the place. Just this week, she passed away back in 2003. And in going through her garage, I found these flower bulbs that she was saving. And I grabbed some of them not knowing what they were, and I planted them. And this year, 13 years later, her amaryllis flowers came up in my garden. Her gladiolas are beautiful as they come up. My grandmother was a phenomenal gardener. But as she gardened, she would often go in and go into each of these flower beds. And she would have, she, one flower bed was not enough. She had to have them all over. She was always digging up grass and making flower beds out of them. 
And one, at one particular time, she would go out and she would handpick all the weeds that would come out of those flower beds. Well, one day, back in around 2002, Jennifer and the girls and I drove to Arkansas. And as we pulled up, she lived right next door to my parents. She had her own house. She took care of everything on her own. But she had a separate house next to my parents. And my parents told me that they were not going to be home but for us just to, to use the garage code and to go on into the house. And as we pulled back, scared me to death. In the backyard as I pulled around the corner to park in the driveway, I saw a form in her backyard slumped over onto the ground. And I knew that Granny had died. And so I calmly, I told Jennifer and the girls, stay in the car, let me go see what's going on. And I walk up behind her. And I say, Granny, Granny, and I get a little bit closer each time and a little bit louder. Granny, Granny, because I knew she was hard of hearing. And at the last step, her head pops up and she goes, who is it? Because she was basically blind as well. And I said, Granny, it's Randy. We just drove in from Texas. Are you okay? She goes, oh, Lange, yes. I said, what on earth are you doing? She goes, I'm pulling up these darn dandelions is what I'm doing. And here was my grandmother, 89 years of age, with her rear end in the air and her head to the ground because her macular degeneration was so bad, she could only see out of the periphery. And she was looking for the dandelions with her head tilted to the side so she could see them and go after them. Well, as you might have noticed... What we're doing today is that same exercise. She understood that to kill a dandelion, you couldn't just mow them over. You had to get them at their root. You had to go after the root of the dandelion. Because if you just mow off the heads, and if you don't catch it before it seeds, it's going to proliferate and it's going to go all over your yard and you're going to have a significant problem. She knew this fact of which she taught us that each of those seed heads has the probability and possibility of between 54 and 172 other plants of dandelions. And that each one of those plants, because they would have multiple flowers, had the potential of over 2,000 seeds to go out. And here is the truth of anger unrealized for us we're going to bypass the flower of anger we're going to bypass the actual uh, leaves that have nurtured that flower called hurt and pain in our lives and we're going after the root today called bitterness the struggles in our life the things that we've faced and here's what we're going to do because we're going to attempt to do the hard work as the spirit of god wants to work in every one of our lives to do the hard work of, of seeing this anger and rage that's within us and to try and search for what is the root. And we are going to go after that root and seek to pull it up out of our lives by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So let's continue today, if we could, to go after the root of these problems for us. Because here's the thing. If it goes to seed in your life, it will destroy your witness with everybody around you. Some of the most miserable people today are believers in Jesus Christ 
who've allowed anger to become comfortable with them in their life. And they've pushed down the pain and hurt so far that God no longer can work in their lives because they are in absolute disobedience to him because they won't forgive. And that is many of us today. Let's do the hard work. In Ephesians chapter 4, would you go with me there? I want you to, as we... As we continue in this, we're going to look at the practical process of this. Ephesians 4.26. And it says, don't, and don't sin by letting your anger control you. We know that anger is not the issue. We know that there is righteous anger. But don't sin by letting your anger control you. Anger's not the sin. But when anger controls us, that's when it becomes sinful. It is always in tandem or it is usually in tandem with two other sins. One is money. We know that money is not the root of all evil. What's the root of all evil? The love of money. When money and all of its devices and all of its things that it buys begins to control our heart to the point that we will do anything for it, it is now in control. That is when we know. We have a problem. Sex is not sinful. Sex in the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman is the beautiful expression. It's actually the greatest picture of God's love for us and of Jesus' love with his bride, the church. The whole sexual understanding of that is a beautiful picture of God's love for us. But what's the problem? The problem is when sex controls us and when it is used outside the boundaries of marriage that God has provided, it becomes incredibly destructive. Sex is not the sin. The sin is when it controls our heart. Anger is not the sin. It's when it grips us and controls our heart. And then he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger. And here it is gives a foothold to the devil. You remember the dandelions? It's when they got a foothold in the yard that then they began to take over and began to take control. And this is what Satan always does. He takes something that God has made beautiful and that God actually wants to use. He wants to use our righteous anger. And when it gets a foothold in our lives, it totally ruins our witness. And that is what the enemy is after. Verse 28, it seems like he goes away to something else that he kind of begins to talk about something else. It's not that. He now gives us an illustration of what we call the process of replacement in our lives as believers. He says, instead of doing this, instead of having anger on the wrong side, what you should do is this. And he uses a couple of other things to illustrate this. He says, first of all, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Okay? In other words, stop it. Or I'll bury you alive in a box, okay? How many of you have been thinking about that video? You've watched that video more than once this week, okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, we showed a, uh, Pastor Bart showed a Bob Newhart video last week that was just hilarious. Paul says, if you're a thief, stop it. Quit stealing. But instead, okay, here's the replacement. Instead of using your ability and your hands to steal something, instead do this. Use your hands for good work. Good hard work even. And give generously to others who are in need. And then he says, don't use foul or abusive language. In other words, 
Some of you who have the gift of gab and can talk literally to a brick wall, I know no one like that, okay? The mirror is pointing at me at this particular time, okay? I can use my words to damage people, to cut them to the quick. I can use them quickly in that way. So what is, if that's my issue, if using my words sometimes in that way, what am I supposed to do? Don't use foul or abusive language, but let everything instead say that you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And in so doing, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit who is welcome here as we sang this morning. If God's Spirit is welcome in our lives, don't, as some passages, as some uh, translations say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live, by the way that you spew out or stuff down or leak on other people. Don't allow God's Spirit to be present in your life and not be real to everybody who sees you. Don't allow your anger to overcome you so much that people no longer see the Christ who's in you and they see just your anger that's living out. Dallas Willard calls this the gospel of sin management. So many of us as Christians, instead of experiencing the victory in Jesus Christ, have gotten so comfortable with our particular pet sins, of which for Americans and for us specifically, I think that anger is one of those pet sins. We've gotten so comfortable with it that Dallas Willard says we can't live the gospel of sin management, simply moving around our sins, hoping that something new will come about. Instead, we need to understand that we need to go to the root of these issues and allow Christ to take these issues just like we depend on Him for our salvation. We need to depend on Him for our daily life. And in so doing, we live a victorious Christian life instead of sometimes the miserable that we, things that we experience because we're giving our lives over to control of anger, sex, money, these things that quite honestly, Christ has given us power over. And then He says... Remember, he has identified you as his own. You are his child. And he wants you to live like his child. Instead, be identified with you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And then he gets back to the understanding of this process of anger. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior And then the replacement, and instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, and here's the heavy word, forgiving one another. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Jesus Christ. He loved us. And he offered himself as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. It's the Old Testament view of a sacrifice that when it was burned, the aroma would stretch out and you would smell the sacrifice long before you would ever see it. Jesus Christ has been sacrificed for us in order that we might forgive not only ourselves, but forgive others as well. Let's do the hard work today. Three things I just want to help us with as we process through this process of forgiveness. The first thing, if we're going to truly forgive, the first thing we must do is identify the root of your anger. Identify 
the root of your anger. I read an article this week about Tiger Woods. It's called The Secret History of Tiger Woods. It was by ESPN. It was a phenomenal article as it looked at the last 10 years of Tiger Woods' golfing career. And if you ever watch golf, or at least you know a little bit about sports, what you've seen in the last 10 years from the age of 30 to now the age of 40, a rapid and steady tailspin decline of Tiger Woods. And it all points back, and the reason I'm so intrigued by this article was this. It pointed back to a man who so desired the applause of his father. So much so that when his father died, he no longer had the audience that he truly was trying to live up for. And the very things that were in his father's life that he despised, his philandering with women that destroyed his parents' relationship, he hated that about his father. And the very thing that he hated about his father that he showed anger about, what it it is the very thing that took him down. It was so interesting to understand the root of, And I was watching it unfold in this article. The root of the issue of Tiger's demise. One of the greatest golfers ever who was on a meteoric rise and then a meteoric downfall as well. We have to identify those things in our lives. The things that are at the root of our anger. All right, I have asked a couple that are good friends of mine, at least before they do this illustration. Mike, or Mike, Wendy and Paul Robinson. What am I saying, Mike? Okay, Wendy and Paul, I want you to come up here real quick. I'm going to illustrate this with these guys. We've got to identify the root of our anger. Now, what I'm about to do with them has nothing to do with them, and it is not a realistic story, okay? So you need to hold that, all right? Now, Wendy, you hold that as well. All right, so let's say this happened, and this is totally fictitious. If this actually happened, then I'm an actual prophet, and we need to go to, to do something else. All right, so let's say Wendy comes home one day. And she sees that the yard is not mowed. I know that that never happens in your household, Wendy. But the yard needs to be mowed. And so she comes to Paul and says, Paul, you know, the yard really needs to be mowed. Now that is a little, Paul has just gotten home from work. It's been a long week of work, right, Paul? Yes, okay, don't answer anything. Trust me, I will lead you into demise if I do this. Okay, it's been a long week of work. Okay, so he, he, this is, he's kind of angry about this. So what this should do is what we call This is old pain, but what we should see is it was actually on a scale of 1 to 10. This would be a 3 that should register for Paul, all right? Because, hey, he was tired. It wasn't such a bad thing, but it was a 3. But what it really registers for Paul is a 9. Paul goes off the roof, okay? He is is off the charts in anger. So here's what we're dealing with. As many of you know what this is like, many times when we're responding in anger, we're not responding to the actual situation. We're responding to all things in the past. So the question is this, what's the difference between what Paul should be feeling, a three, and a nine that he really is feeling? The difference is what we call old pain. What Wendy doesn't realize is that when Paul was growing up, his dad always made him mow the yard at the very time when his favorite show was on. All right? And his dad would always say, Paul, I need, and this was before DVRs, okay? Did did this really happen? No, don't answer. All right. So he would make him mow the yard when his favorite show was on. And so the issue is he's not responding to Wendy. He's responding to his old pain of all the issues that he struggled with his dad when he made him mow the yard. Does that make sense? All right, thank you. Give them a hand, all right? Old pain. 
So here's what happens in our lives, okay? We are responding to some of the issues and things that we have pushed down and stuffed down and done all these different things and issues in our life. We're responding to all these things that aren't really what's happening now, but what's happened in our past. So the first thing that we must do is to identify the root of our actual anger. Now, I want to give you some diagnostic questions. I want you to write these down, okay? If you don't write these down, you're not going to remember them, and you're not going to do the hard work because you probably can't do this sitting right here. You're going to need to think through this. And some of you are very, you already know what makes you angry or what's made you angry in the past, but some of you still need to identify it. So here's some questions I want you to ask. There are three things that we basically investigate with this. First of all, it is our fear, and then it's our pain, and then it is our frustration. So let's talk about fear. Fear is, what am I afraid of? If you can discover the things that you're afraid of, you will begin to get a handle on some of the things that might be roots of bitterness in your own life. For instance, maybe you hate finances, all right? It comes to that time every month when you need to balance the checkbook, and you would rather change banks every month than balance the checkbook, okay? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I would probably have to raise my hand at that particular point. Maybe it's because there's a fear that at some point in time in your life there was not enough, there was more month than there was money. You know what I'm saying, right? So maybe at some particular time in your life that was you, or maybe it's you right now. And so when you go to balance your checkbook, it just brings, or you go to pay bills, it just brings incredible fear upon your life. Well, that may go back to a sense or a root of bitterness or things in your past as well. What about things that that cause you pain? Here's some questions. Where have I been wounded? Where, where are the things in my life? What points and places in my life have I been wounded? What relationships? Have you, is there pain of rejection in your life? You felt rejected in some spot or relationship. Are there unchangeable aspects of your lives? Okay, these would be someone else made a choice and it has strongly affected you. You had no control over their choice, but their choice affected you. It was some circumstances that you absolutely had no control over. Could be life circumstances. It's what I also call, not my term, but I love the term because I see it so often, the death of a dream. Things just haven't turned out the way you wanted them to turn out. Could be a job could be a child, could be an illness, could be a special need. Whatever the case is, it's the death of a dream. Things just aren't going to be like you had envisioned them and you feel grief as a result of it. That causes pain, that causes hurt, that can be a root of bitterness for us. Maybe it's favoritism. You were not the favored child at home. You were not the favored employee. You were not the favored student in the class. Someone else showed favoritism. Maybe there was a false accusation that was made about you or to you. These are all causes of roots of bitterness that go deep within us. Let's look at the third area, frustration. What are my unmet expectations in relationships, in marriage, in your home, at school, at work, in your personal life? What are the unmet expectations? expectations now here's the reality some of you already knew what caused pain in your life 
Some of you will discover that. But when you get there, that point, this point, is a critical juncture for us as believers. Why is it so critical? It is critical because you now have a choice to make. What are you going to do with what you know? You say, well, okay, fine, I'll just stay ignorant. Ignorance is bliss, and, and I will not know what's really causing my pain. That doesn't help you any. But once you have identified what those things are that are your old pain between the three and the six, that you lash out on people because now it's not just what they did, but because of all the things that come out of your life as a result of the things that happen, then we have a choice to make. And here's where we come. Some will choose to ignore it and hope it goes away. Those are our stuffers in the room. Others will become comfortable with it. It will actually become so intertwined with your being that it, be- well, it seems to become a part of you, siphoning all the life away from you. Those are our leakers. And some will allow the very knowledge of this source of newfound information to be a reason for you to erupt all over again. Those are our spewers, okay? Now, in our life group just a couple of weeks ago, we went through some questions and some things in our life group, and I self-determined, because Jennifer was not there that night, she didn't get to come, I self-determined that I was a leaker. I felt like I fit all the categories of being a leaker. And I got home, and Jennifer goes, no, you are a spewer. And I'm like, you are not even there! I I don't understand! No, I didn't do that. All right. A little scary, isn't it? Okay. I did not do that. But she said, babe, you, why are y'all laughing at that, all right? You've never seen ugly airport Randy, have they, Jorge? Oh, it's, not, it's a scary thing. It's not quite that bad, though, I promise. Okay, anyway. She goes, you're a spewer. I'm like, eh. Okay, you know me better than I know myself. That's true. But see, here's the point for us. We're at a critical place. What are we going to do with what we now know? And that's where it all comes down to is this understanding of forgiveness. Now that we've begun to identify this, but here's what Jesus says about this. This is rough, okay? I'm sorry if you came in for a feel-good message today, all right? Matthew 6, Jesus says this. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. Did Jesus really say that? He really did. And what did he mean by that? First of all, Jesus is not talking about salvation here. We understand that salvation is not, it's not built upon our ability to forgive others, okay? Salvation is not built upon that. Salvation is built upon Jesus and Jesus alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes that very clear. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us could boast about it. Jesus is not dealing with salvation in this issue. Then what in the world is he dealing with? If we can't forgive others, then God won't forgive us. What's he talking about? He's talking about the steady flow of fellowship with God. Our relationship is solid in Jesus Christ. It's based upon him. But our fellowship flow between us and God 
will be hampered if you cannot forgive others. And here's what that means. To the point of your unforgiveness is the block or level where you will grow spiritually. That is one of the main reasons why Christians today are, who, who cannot deal with forgiveness are so often very miserable and not living a victorious Christian life. Why? Because their fellowship with God has been hampered to the point of their ability to forgive others. It's like riding a bicycle. If you've ridden a bicycle before, what you realize is you're either moving forward or you are falling down. It is virtually impossible unless you have this uncanny ability of balance to stay balanced on a bicycle you must be what moving forward in your spiritual life in mine we must continually be moving forward in our fellowship with God or else we begin to retreat and we live miserable non-victorious Christian lives as a result of it so here's the point if you and I have identified the root of our anger the question is what are we going to do with it And if we choose to come to this point and not to go further, our growth in Christ and our witness for Christ has plateaued and will begin to go down. We need to realize that we must destroy the root of our anger with forgiveness. Watch this video. It's emotional. It's visceral. We feel it. And the likelihood is this. Most of us identify most with the sun in the video. We think about other people and we think about the things and the way that they've hurt us. But victory lies today in identifying with the Father in the video who needs to receive the forgiveness. Because here's what Jesus said from the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You see, Jesus Christ from the cross granted you and I forgiveness. It was our very sins, just like the Father who had created the problems and the issues of trust within the Son. It was our very issues and our very sin that put Christ upon the cross and He, with all the glory of being God, said I forgive you. The thing that you and I need to understand to destroy the root with forgiveness, we must first understand that we are forgiven so much of your anger and my anger comes from the fact that we do not feel forgiven ourselves and if we don't have that sense we cannot forgive others but listen how do I begin to forgive the first thing to know is this Jesus empowers you to do the things that he commands listen to what Corey Ten Boom who withstood the anger and resentment that she felt as a Holocaust victim when her sister was killed. Here's what Corey Ten Boom says. When she was forgiving one of the guards who had harmed and killed her sister. Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. 
Jesus, I cannot forgive him. And you may be feeling about that about somebody in your past. You may be feeling that about yourself. Give me your forgiveness, she says. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than it is on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but it's on His. When He tells us to love our enemies, He gives us along with the command to do it, the very love itself. Jesus Christ, as you, for you as a victorious Christian, for you as a person who may be not a, not a believer today, but you have before you the opportunity to have a love residing within you that will give you the ability to forgive when you don't think you have that ability. There are several things about forgiveness we must understand. First of all, we must understand that forgiveness is an ongoing act. It is not simply going to happen necessarily once and be done forever. It is going to be something that you deal with on a daily basis as you're sometimes in those relationships continually seeing people. You may uh, have something that brings these processes or these issues to mind of your root of bitterness. But it's an ongoing process. Understand that forgiveness is not forgetting. You're going to remember these things. There may be parts of your very being that were created because of some of these wounds that you have experienced. But it is not forgetting. It's not the same. But we still can forgive. Understand that forgiveness, as we saw in this video, is freeing yourself from captivity. But it does not require a response from the person being forgiven. I love this quote from Lewis Smedes as he says this, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. You see, unforgiveness will plateau your Christian life. Unforgiveness will cause your witness to so sour that you will not be effective for Jesus Christ in this world. You're still a believer. You're still saved. You'll still go to heaven. But your life victoriously here on this earth will be halted and stunted because of our lack of forgiveness. We've grown as much as we're going to grow. That's it. We're the prisoner that needs to be set free from forgiveness. You see, what I'm trying to give you today is a little push to the want to of forgiving. Because actually coming to the place of forgiveness is really a step that you take. It's something that you do. And we're going to talk about it very practically in these last few moments. But here's the thing. The biggest step, quite honestly, is getting you to the place where you want to do it. And that's only a Holy Spirit job that I'm praying through Scripture and through what God gives us, we get to that place of want to. So how do we then forgive? What are some practical steps? Well, the first thing we must do is ask for forgiveness ourselves. We need to not only forgive ourselves, but in places where we've been hurt and we've been wounded, some of the first things we need to do is because we've built up so much animosity that it's led us to do things in retaliation to the original act of whatever it was, that it's actually some acts that we need to ask for forgiveness for before we do that. Before we get forgiveness, we're going to need to ask for forgiveness from others. That's a step that many of us need to take. Now, there are some ways that we can begin to do that. 
Sometimes that I often do is I think about this, and I don't ever do it with Jennifer or the girls around because they would make fun of me if they would do that. So I encourage you to do this by yourself. This is an exercise that you would do, and that's simply place them in the chair. Place them on a stool, in the chair, or wherever, and rehearse this with them. You say rehearse going through this, asking for forgiveness, or granting forgiveness? Absolutely. Because in doing this, you're actually doing an act of your your will to actually forgive someone. Go through the words that you would say to them, and actually grant forgiveness. Because here's the truth of the matter. Some of the people that have hurt you and wounded you and harmed you, they're dead and gone, and they're not, it's not possible for you to actually talk with them. Some of the people who have hurt you in their past are still very non-safe people. So it would not be wise in many cases, maybe even most, for you to go to that person actually physically and ask for their forgiveness because it may open brand new wounds that you're going to have to heal from. If you can do this in person and it's an opportunity for you to do it, I would encourage it. But there are many people who are unsafe and that it wouldn't be wise for you to do that. So go through it and actually forgive them and present that to them Not to present your case, just to say, I forgive you for whatever. Go after the root of this. Another great way to do that is write a letter. Write a letter to them. Maybe go to a specific place where maybe some of the wounding happened and nobody else is there or around or something that would represent that place. And then burn that letter after you've forgave them. So walk it through. Again, a huge part of the battle is getting the want to to come to that place. And now release them from what they and the power and control that they've had over you in this place of bitterness. The final thing is that process of replacement that Paul teaches us. Live a life filled with love. Once you've done the hard work of getting to this place of actually releasing someone from this power that they've had over you, live a life of love. In other words, it's this. Keep a short list. When things crop up, ask for forgiveness quickly. Don't allow it to fester. Don't allow for it to go deep into the taproot of your life. But keep a short list. Listen to what Paul says. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Now that you're free, because you are his dear children, and live a life of love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. When you've gone through the hard work of forgiving, then then the principle is to then exchange it for this life of love, of short the short list of your relationships to keep everything fresh in your relationships and open in your relationship to God. Now, here's what's going to happen. Some of you, when you do this, you are going to feel so freed up that you will have never experienced the kind of spiritual growth that you will begin to experience when you take that step. It's a beautiful place to be. Let's quit being miserable, non-victorious Christians because we've held on to some root of bitterness and it's kept us a prisoner. We can forgive. Say that with me. 
We can forgive. Let's say it one more time, a little bit louder. We can forgive because we have been forgiven. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, there are some here this morning that they've done the hard work of identifying this. Lord, allow them the freedom to be able to release people. Allow them the opportunity to begin to give forgiveness where they need to. Lord, for some today, they don't experience this freedom because they don't have a relationship with you. Lord, for those today, may they take that first step to follow you. If that's you today, I just encourage you. Experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ over you. Invite him to come into your life. Say this, dear Jesus, I know I cannot do this on my own. I can't forgive on my own. I can't be saved on my own. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life to be my Savior today. I pray you'll experience that today. I pray that you'll begin to experience the freedom and growth vitality in your life. Father, be glorified by our obedience today. Live in us. Show a world that you love them by us loving them today. In our humility, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name.